You're listening to Building the Game with Rob and Jason. It's Building the Game with Jason and Rob. For tabletop game design, you really can't go wrong. Building the Game, yeah, Building the Game. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary pod. I can't can't keep that up. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, it's uh, January 15th, episode 294, Rob, Jason, there we go. Hi. Um, what's oh, new hi, with you? Rob. What's new with you? Uh, lots. lots. Lots of stuff. Yeah? No. Hey, on our Discord, which everybody builders out there, if you're on Discord, you should uh, you should join our Discord. Yeah. Go to buildinggamepodcast.com. There's, there's instructions on there how to join our yeah. Discord. Uh, a jailbird, jailbird, yeah, j- jailbird on there said, "Hey, are you guys interested intending to discuss the woodshed agency topic on the podcast?" Yeah, um, wow. yeah. So, um, so let me kind of recap. I think basically what this was. Um, uh, so there was a there was a company, uh, a, gr- a group that wanted to start a Kickstarter for their game. I think the game was called Upstart or something. Uh, I don't know. Something anyway, like that. Something like that. Um, and uh, and they were not based in the United States. They so they wanted, but they wanted to reach the U.S. market. So they found a a PR agency called uh, it was called the Woodshed Agency, kind of a kind of a small startup um, public relations company that I, I guess in a lot of ways I don't know if that's their whole business, but part of their business apparently is to help people launch Kickstarters. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so they enlisted the help of this PR agency to try and. Um, help them get get some get some marketing going and help them have a successful Kickstarter mm-hmm. uh, because they didn't have an in in the US. And without getting into a lot of details, I guess that didn't go well. Um, <laughs> so the, uh, the they finally started shipping the game to backers and and earlier in, in December, uh, they put out some kind of a big a big story, a big post saying, "Hey, we still sh- we're shipping this game right now, and we're going to tell you about the experience we had with the Woodshed Agency um, s- because it was so awful and they were so terrible, and we want other people to know so they don't make the same mistake we did in right. in um, contracting with them." And so they tell told this horror this horror story about about this company stealing all their money. Right, <clears throat> all the all the backers' money. Yeah, uh, and then like a couple of days later, that that company, the Woodshed Agency, wrote a wrote a post of their own saying, "Hang on, there, you're not telling the whole story," <laughs> uh, and and refuted a lot of their claims and, and provided evidence to that fact, and uh, laid out uh, pretty systematically how that uh, publisher um, went out of their way to commit fraud on Kickstarter. Right. Um, and uh, and then the publisher responded like a couple of days after that, basically saying, "No, shut up, you're jerk." <laughs> um, it's, it's it's a actually a pretty interesting story. Uh, it's just interesting to read. I would encourage you to to just Google Woodshed Agency Kickstarter. That's how I found it. Right. Uh, or if you want to join our Discord in the show topics su- subject, there are links to all of the the pertinent yeah, articles yeah. in yeah. there, and it's it, it's an interesting read. It is. Um, I don't know that we have really a good take on it or or a, a helpful perspective to share. I did think of one thing I wanted to ask about. Yeah. So Kickstarter fraud, but they were calling Kickstarter fraud was the idea that, um, yeah, they were funding themselves. Right. That they so so the 
the person who's running the campaign is not allowed to pledge to the, commit their own to their own campaign, right? So if I launch Kickstarter, I can't make a pledge to help myself. Well, can I? You can't personally. But friends and family, right? Yeah, sure. So right. So so first of all, so they weren't doing it themselves, no, right? No, right. Because you literally can't back your own game, right? Because you're the creator, you're not a backer. Yeah. Um, but so I wanted to, this, this is the one thing, cause the word fraud is very accusatory. Yeah. Right. right? So, and I'm not sure if that um, it is fraud, but that's what people, that's what our pals on discord are using the word. They're throwing around the word fraud. Right. And so what that got me thinking was, is, okay. So I'm a company, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a company. I put up a Kickstarter. Um, and, uh, and there's a specific company where we saw this happen. I don't know if you remember this. Several I, years I back, you remember? I, we, we won't name it. Uh, but no, I, no, no, yeah. no. Because they're actually a cool company, right? Yeah. And I, I'm not saying this is bad. Their Kickstarter was moving along very slowly. They wanted like 40 grand, I think, mm-hmm. uh, ish. Um, and it was, I think it was 40 grand. They wanted, And they were at like 20. And it was going very slow. And they were, they were in the doldrums of like week three, right? But they were, mm-hmm. they were getting to that point where if they didn't make a big jump... It was over, right? Sure. And this was their first game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then suddenly, boom, $10,000 day, right? Sure. With not a ton of backer movement, <laughs> right? Um, boom, striking distance, things picked up. They funded with uh, maybe 45 or something like that. I, I'm mm-hmm. possibly making these numbers up, but they're approximate, right? Sure. Um, so anyways... At the time, I was like, oh, oh, that's terrible. But now I'm asking, is it terrible? Well, I don't know. And I'm not, I, I don't know. I don't know. I struggle with that, too. I don't know. Right. Um, well, I think what is terrible in the case of this specific situation is that is that the Woodshed Agency showed, showed evidence showing that um, they had people that suddenly, you know, Hey, there's one person who pledged eleven thousand dollars this day, and then there's another person who pledged twelve thousand dollars on the other day, and then there's another person who pledged eight thousand dollars on the third day, and then after the campaign successfully funded, and the and Kickstarter went through to charge all their credit cards, all those charges were rejected. Okay, okay. So that part aside, that's obviously yeah. that's bad. Right. What I want to talk about, if it's okay with you, is the fundamental. Okay. If a publisher is donating to their own Kickstarter through mm-hmm. legal channels, right? Through um, maybe employees of the publisher who aren't mm-hmm. the, who aren't listed as the creator, right? Is that bad? What? So what's what's bad about that? And what, I'm not going to say sure. is it bad. What is bad about it, and what is good about it? So what's bad about it is that you're misleading your backers as to how much money you actually need. Yes, but I would argue, I would argue. That a large percentage of publishers do that. A large percentage of publishers do that by setting the goal artificially low. Right. Right. Knowing that if it, it that um, that if if it hits the goal and only hits the goal, they're going to have to come up with the rest of that money. But if it overfunds, then they're then they're they're basically they're okay, right? They're not going to have to find right. that money somewhere else, right? And that's that's a business risk that they're taking. Right. Um, and, and and again, I'm not saying that's good or bad, yeah. right? Um, it could be bad if it barely funds, right? But I, yeah. I, I, I know companies that have done that, and I've heard them specifically say, well, if we don't hit a certain point, I'll just cancel the Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. I don't know. It, it's, it's a difficult subject, and I don't have a good answer for it. I don't know. So... He, 
counterpoint, right? Like, so here's what could be good about it. Say you have a Kickstarter, they want 50 grand to mm-hmm. do it, right? Um, they're going through the campaign, they're up to 45, right? Mm-hmm. There's a cut, co- they've hit the two day mark, that's pushed them to 45. People are gonna start canceling, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's not funded, right? And that publisher says, you know, I mean, most publishers that I've talked to do kind of the slush budget, right? Where on a $50,000 game, they've got at least five grand budgeted that is for problems, right? Mm-hmm. Like they don't theoretically need five grand of that, right? It's there in case there's a problem. Mm. Does that make sense? Okay. So I don't know that I've heard the same thing, but okay. Okay. Well, I, the, in Kickstarter budgets I've seen from two different publishers, they've done that. Okay. They've said, well, I put this in in case there's any problems, I have extra cash to take care of it. Mm-hmm. And if not, hey, then I just roll it into the next game, which I don't think is disingenuous. I think that's fine. Um, you're covering your bases. And if sure. you're a small company, you kind of have to do that, right? Okay. Um, and and so, so the publisher says to somebody who works for him, right? Or let's say somebody who doesn't work for him to make it less, it's the actual publisher. They say... Listen, uh, here I, I'm transferring you five thousand dollars. I need you to go on and make a five thousand dollar pledge to put us over so that people don't start dropping back. Disingenuous, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But six to seven hundred backers, depending on the cost of the game, are going to get a game that they would not have gotten sure. had the publisher not did that. I, if I was the backer, publisher, go to town. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Give me the game. Give me the game. I don't care. Right. Now, if they if if afterwards they let that fail, like they don't pay with the credit card and stuff, not bull, not okay. Yeah, because now you're screwing over Kickstarter, and that's that's their business, right? That's mm-hmm. not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't have a problem with them doing that to save the day. Like I, I could care less. I actually think it's great if if I'm still getting the game mm-hmm. because the fact of the matter is, publishers do this all the time where they say, "Well, we refigured." And we can lower these stretch goals, right? Sure. But you know what you can't do? You can't lower the funding goal. You legitimately, partway through the campaign, may be able to be like, you know what? Actually, we could get this cheaper. The publisher, I mean, the printer is willing Mm -hmm. to give us this. Um, Yeah. I mean, I know that that happened with Mark with a game where they budgeted a certain amount and then they were able to cost save on shipping. And great, they cost saved on shipping and they use that funds for business stuff, right? I mean, but like he was able to save money on shipping. Nobody's going to be like, whoa, dude. Now I'm not saying shipping to people. I'm saying shipping from China, sure. No, no, right? no, no. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. That. Yeah, yeah. They'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. You're gonna need to divide that up among everybody. That's just good yeah. business, right? You figure out a way to save money and not hurt something on business. Well, you damn well better do it. Sure. Um, but Kickstarter won't let you lower the goal with good reason because right. people would be doing that all the time and people right. would just be stealing money and running away, and that's yeah. not cool. So I think I think it is it is against the spirit of the Kickstarter, mm-hmm. of the crowdfunding, everybody jump on board and everybody help each other out, right? So I think it is contrary to the spirit and, and the goals of Kickstarter. Um, and that if that if your plan is to do that, you should probably go to Indiegogo. If your plan is to do that, then I think it's bad, flat out. Yeah. If that is your plan, like if these people were like, listen, we're just going to fund our own thing, and then, you know, take anybody else's money that we get and make mm-hmm. the game. That's shady to me, right? Um, but that said, I mean, there are companies that put their game on Kickstarter all the time that they don't need that money. Sure. They're doing it no. because it's free advertisement and frankly cheaper to sell than retail. Sure. And then I think the way to do that is to set the goal super low. Set a $100 goal. Set a 
thousand dollar goal, right? right. Th- then you're you're clearly doing it for the marketing. You're saying we're going to print this game and right. we're going to give you a chance to bust out some really cool extra stuff. That's right. what you're going to help it's us a, do. That makes it not a Kickstarter campaign, but a pre-sale campaign, which is also kind of against the spirit of Kickstarter, but it's also I think a lot more honest. But I think that if you are allowing the... Um, so here's a game that, that didn't do this, but it's a good example. Mm-hmm. I think if you want to say that it did. They did not do this, obviously, from what I know, but Dinosaur Island, I'm looking at it over there, right? Mm-hmm. So they did a regular edition you could get on Kickstarter mm-hmm. and then a, a deluxe edition, kind of like Saloon Tycoon did, but they like... It's mega deluxe, yeah, sure, right? I mean, right. you pick that box up, you saw a box yeah. was like 100 freaking pounds. Um, so anyways, uh, the idea with that is um, like you were able to get something on Kickstarter that was boutique, right? It sure. was not what you would get in retail. Mm-hmm. So pretend that exact same model, mm-hmm. except for what you're saying is we're setting the goal at $1,000. We're going to print this game no matter what, but we're going to give you the chance to create with us a boutique, super fancy version of this game mm-hmm. that you're going to get for helping create it. Sure. And then no one else is going to get That's neat. Yeah. That I'm comfortable with. Yeah, sure. That's cool. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Anyway, I, I didn't mean for that to turn into such a big conversation. I, I, I think it was a good conversation. Yeah. Yeah. No, it absolutely was. It, it, it was. It's just something that was um, that came up in our Discord. I wanted to make sure that we talked about it on here. Uh, and we love our Discord. We do. And um, yeah. And and it's on people's minds right now. It's kind of kind of a hot subject. The worst thing I could say about our Discord is um, there's not enough people on there. Well, okay. So the second worst part about Discord <laughs> is. Um, that half the ideas you guys come up with on there, are like Rob and I are like, I don't know how we're going to do that I'm justice. Not smart enough to talk about this that. was a good example yeah. of that, like where we said, I don't know if we can do this conversation just, but we're going to talk about it because it's important. Yeah, right. So anyway, um, that was not going to be our topic for tonight, though. You wanted to talk about grids. I wanted to talk about grid management. Grid management. Okay. That's a mechanic I made up. It's not true. Um, ah, so spatial management. I, I don't even know. So. Um, the game that got me thinking about it was Tiny Park, which I mentioned last week. Yeah. So the way this game works, it's like patchwork for kids. Okay. So you've got, uh, I'm pulling out the board to show up. There's four player to- uh, player uh, boards you have. It's a four by five grid. Four by five grid. And then you've got crazy shaped pieces, Tetris mm-hmm. pieces, right? Tetra- tetra- tetraminos or Tetraminos. I never know how to pronounce that. Oh, really? Is that what they call those? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, you just put them on the thing. And once you put it in, if you're an adult, it's locked. Yeah. Uh, and there's there's a good number of single tiles too, so that you unlike patchwork, where yeah. you, there's only a set amount. You, there's I mean, there's a set amount, but there's a lot, right? You mm-hmm. could you could there's probably fifteen of them. Um, so yeah, so you roll the dice, you earn resources with the dice, and then you buy the things, right? But um, but this has become kind of an interesting thing that people get excited about, right? Because of games like Patchwork and Baron Park and Tiny uh-huh. Park, these games where or, or they're Tetris games, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, really. Um, so with this mechanic, um, what I love about it is it's, it's tactile, right? It's, yep. it's, you're putting it out there, you're, you're making the shapes, right? And in patchwork, that's the entire game, right? The point of patchwork is to make the best quilt yeah. with the least number of spaces in your quilt at the end. Tiny park, the goal is to be the first person to complete your park. To fill it. Okay. Yeah. And you're going to, someone is always going to fill it. I mean, I, I guess there's a scenario where that doesn't happen, but I doubt it. So um, it, it'd be pretty hard to happen. Mm-hmm. And then uh, what was the other game I was mentioning? Uh, Baron Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, I'm not exactly sure how that one works, uh, but I know it's also another grid-based game where you're trying to play things on a player board okay. or, a, or a main board. Mm-hmm. Um, so this this really intrigues me because 
you can use different systems like patchwork. The purchasing system is completely different, right? Mm. Patchwork. It's the time track system where like I, um, I buy a piece and that says I have to pay X number of money, which is buttons in the game. And I have to, and, or I have to move X number of spaces forward on the track. Well, around the circle of pieces, Mm. which does two things. One, it changes your view of pieces. We really should play patchwork sometime. You'd freaking love it. I think Christina would would. love it too. I'm sure I would. Um, the uh, uh, changes your view of because you can only ever buy the next three pieces that are mm. in front of you. Okay. Um, but it also uh, moves, you know, moves it around. So, and when you uh, buy a piece, it comes out of the circle and the circle shrinks. Yep. 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 Okay. Until the shirk circle gets real small, and yeah. and so there's the time track. The board there's all, there's three boards, one for each player, and then the time track board. And you're moving around that time track board, the x number of spaces. And when somebody gets to the end of the game, end of the board, the game is over, right? Mm. And there's the strategy of trying to get past certain points before the other player because you get the you get the patches which are just one by one square okay uh, which are great for filling in holes at the end of the game you're getting minus two points for every hole that's open right okay um and uh the first person to fill like a set it's a 10 by 10 grid the first person to fill seven by seven or more solid uh gets like 15 extra points or 10 extra points or something Mm. it's it's a big deal um so yeah i want to talk about that mechanic okay um but I'm not sure what I want to say about it. Okay. Uh, I'm right, right now, like, you know, you kind of get, with as a designer, you kind of get a mechanic in your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the one that's stuck in my head right now. Okay. Um, because I love Tetris. I grew up on Tetris. I of know course. you did, too. Uh, I so mean, did a ton of builders out there, I think right? an argument could be made that Tetris is the greatest video game of all time. I would not disagree with you on that. Yeah, so. yeah. I'm not sure yeah. if I'm ready to say that, but I'd be happy to hear... Somebody make that argument, and I'm not sure that I would disagree with it. Tetris is one of the first video games that had non-video gamers excited about video games pong but the, but that but that waned right so what happened with that was people still play pong dude no but i mean people got excited about pong and then they said let's make more complex video games and most of the people didn't play those more complex video games right True. that's when your subset of gamers came out yeah tetris came out and I would argue that thanks to games like Tetris, that's why we ended up with Nintendo doing what they've done with the Wii and the Wii U and now the Switch, where they've tried to make these accessible games for non-gamers, right? The Tetris became as big as it was because of the Nintendo. Well, yeah. Yeah. I'm saying, though, beyond that. Like, I believe that that helped propel Nintendo into the new era that they came into with okay. non-gamer games for video games, right? Okay. You don't agree with me? Um, I think that's a different conversation that um, <laughs> that I'm not I don't I'm not prepared to engage in that right now because we're focused on other stuff. Right. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on the grid? Uh, it's stuff. Yeah, it's a great idea. So I um I haven't played any of that stuff, right? So I haven't had a hands-on experience with it. It it certainly speaks to me and it's it's something that I want to play and I want to I want to try. Um I love that I love the that it's tactile. You know I like tile placement games. Right, right. You know, yeah. That's right up my alley. Um, as a designer, so, um, uh, there are challenges around how do you, how do you get somebody to choose the piece, right? How, what, what's the path toward making that decision, you know? And I think that those, you, there's, sorry, were you still talking? I was, but that's okay, fine. Keep going, keep going. No, no, okay. sorry. You took a breath and I thought you were done, but I keep going. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, uh, what's the path toward which uh, decision to make of, of what piece do I take? Uh, there is the decision about, um, what form or what shape do those uh, do those tiles take, uh, and where's the balance in in that between 
between it's impossible and I'm going to have holes everywhere or there's a chance that I, or I'm definitely going to fill it up every time or, you know, how, how messy do you want those uh, tetrominoes to be? And I'm using tetromino to say uh, uh, a, a shape comprised of equal size squares and various combinations in, right. in Tetris. They're all f- four squares, but whatever. Anyway. Um, yeah. So where, where do you, what's the process to develop that, to make those decisions, to design those shapes so that it's meaningful. And then moreover, you know, what's, what's the information on those, right? I saw in tiny park, it's, they're just different carnival rides and things. Well, and that's, that's how you buy them. Right. So, and, and then I, I know in patchwork, there are different colors. I haven't played it, but I know there's different colors, other different patterns. And I know some of them have buttons on them. Um, the patterns don't matter. The buttons matter. Buttons the buttons matter. are okay. anytime you pass a certain point on the time track, you get yeah. paid buttons for the number of buttons you okay. have and that's those are the points in the game sure um yeah so so uh and then and then finding a new in for that i don't know what the interface is for baron park but um, neither do i yeah what's what's the approach to that what what's what makes you stand out and not just a patchwork clone or something right and so that's that's what i was going to say there's the two decisions you have to make about that game right shape of the tiles i'm going to argue doesn't really matter um as in for making the big decision about the game right okay Shape of the tiles doesn't matter. What matters are how do I buy the tiles mm-hmm. and how do I win the game, right? Mm-hmm. Those are the two things that I think can differentiate. Now, sure, what effect do the tiles have, right? I think that's important. Um, that actually gives me some some decent ideas thinking about that. Like if there were certain spaces you were trying to cover uh, to do to block certain, like maybe you start with bad things and you're trying to cover some of said bad things, Um and or um, bonuses for connecting certain things. Uh, okay. If it was like a circuit, it was like a there's there are a bunch of puzzles I've been doing in Breath of the Wild where like there it's electricity and you have to like put metal things in certain places to complete circuits to open doors and stuff. Mm. Um, and that so that's something you could possibly do with this, right? Is like the mm-hmm. shapes are connecting circuits on the edges that are passing current sure. through to make things happen. Yeah. It's actually kind of neat. Um, yeah. So, anyways. Um, I don't really know what else to say about this. Like, mm-hmm. I know this isn't a big topic, um, but uh, I, I guess that what I'm saying is I'm enamored with this right now because mm-hmm. uh, what's exciting, it's, I feel like it's untapped, right? Like, it's a cool thing that a few games have done, but that's it, right? And mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot more that could be done with it. Um, and that's always exciting with a new sure. mechanic, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I could make a game about zombies with it. That's... <laughs> People are into zombies, right? They're yeah. hot. Yeah. They're kind of hot right now. They're always hot. Yeah. Uh, I could make a game about... Uh, I could make an Unreal Estate game. That's the plan. Just Unreal Estate. Yeah. Puzzle Builder. Jason Slingerland, the Unreal Estate Factory. <laughs> That's your thing. The Unreal Estate guy. Well, um, I've only made one Unreal Estate game. But, <laughs> but Mark keeps asking you to make more. <laughs> he keeps saying, hey, what about this idea? Try this. So... Yeah, yeah and he does. Have, he does like to say that, you, uh, you which have, I appreciate because I like being inspired. Sure, and even if I design a game that sucks, I can still pitch it on the show, and it's sure. okay. But you've managed to fail every time. To, no, it's uh, not. To that's, follow up on your. It's not true. <laughs> it's not true. Maybe. Yeah, I've not managed to get the man to sign anything. But yeah, right, right. Some of the games have actually been quite good. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I will. You know. Yeah. It, I'm not sure. They, so uh, yeah. 
what's on the tiles? What what's what are, what are your goals with placing tiles? Right? What are you trying to accomplish right. by putting those things down? What does the board look like? What is the sheen? You know, generally the board has been a grid. Yeah. Of not necessarily even like ten by ten, but mm-hmm. five by four, whatever. It's been a, a square and or rectangle yeah, grid. Right. Is there is there an offer uh, an opportunity for a free form? A tile placement thing where you're you're not trying to fill a space, but you're just connecting them freeform on your table, right? What's what you could call it, Carcassonne? What does that look like? Uh, sure, yeah, I know what you mean, though. You yeah. mean with the with the uh, tetramino tile with the Tetris blocks? It te- I, I think it's tetraminos. Tetraminos, yeah. okay, sure. I think it's tetra- tetraminos. Um, uh yeah, so the freeform. What if what if you're stacking tiles on top of each other? You know, you're gonna you're gonna create a base on a grid uh, and fill it the best you can. But at some point, then you're gonna move on. You're gonna start stacking above that. You know, uh, and then are you looking for um, for gaps? And you're looking through gaps to try and see spaces below, or see tiles below, or mm-hmm. you want to see the original. I don't know. Um, there there are different paths uh, to to explore that idea. I suppose. I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah, what if you're all working on the same quilt, so to speak? Yeah. You know, um, Call it Friendship Quilt, the Amish game. Yeah, that'll sell a lot. Hey. The Amish. Uh, the quilting know. game. A lot of people didn't think that would sell a lot. Yeah, well, you're right. You're right. Uh, and the Amish are kind of kind of hot right now. <laughs> the, I mean, whatever. What am I saying? The Amish are always hot. <laughs> Those beards. Well, they are always hot when they're working in the field. Constantly wearing wool. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. I was looking up the pronunciation. Oh. Okay. What was it? Tetromino. There you go. Tetromino. Tetromino. Thank you, Wiktionary. I was just going to say, where did that come from? Tetromino. Okay. Yeah. Honestly, I, I was worried that if I didn't look it up, then later someone would complain at me that Rob got it wrong and nobody called him out on it. Oh, yeah. Oh, speaking of that. Speaking of that. I have an email I want to read. Please do. Then you I, can pitch your game. Then I'll pitch my game after your email. Thanks. Glad we made that plan. Now I want to go to the Wiktionary. Wiktionary. Wiktionary and just find the pronunciations for a lot of different words and just string them together and makes weird sentences. This is from Nate Darty, titled Alliteration. Not to disparage another builder, but in episode 288, Nick commented about Jason's love for alliterations, but all of his examples were rhymes, not alliterations. I mean, no disrespect to Nick, but I wanted to call out Jason and Rob for not catching it. Have I read this email before? I think you have. Okay. I thought I just told you about it. I don't remember. Oh. You know what? I don't care. We already read it. Can we read it again? Continue then. <laughs> uh, signed, Nasty Negative Nate. That's alliteration. Burn. <laughs> Anyways. So, yeah. Uh, I don't remember if we read that or not. I don't think we did because I'm pretty good about deleting these once I read them. So, okay. yeah. So, maybe, yeah, maybe you just read that to me separately. So, yeah. yeah good job, Nate. Way, way, way to burn. That one must hurt. Put some aloe on it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to pitch a game now. Rob's going to pitch a game about yeah. the Smurfs. Oh, that actually could work. Oh, can I get the, could I get the Smurf license? No. Actually, this game though could, could actually work as a Smurf. It's a city builder. 
So so it said like I was imagining this as a city builder, and then I and I made all my notes uh, with it as a city builder, and I got to the end, I was like, man, I don't want to do another medieval city builder. Um, Smurf real estate. So <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it actually could work as a Smurfs game. I'm I'm like straight up, it could totally work as a Smurfs game. But so I'll go through all my notes as I have it right now, and then when I get to the end, I'll tell you. I think what I do want to retheme it as, and what sure. my ideas are on that. So anyway, so um. Uh, this city builder um, kind of kind of is inspired by a kind of a, a three by three grid. All right, uh, and and again, we're going to use medieval nomenclature here just to to give everybody an easy in for it. A Hamlet. So, uh, <laughs> uh, um, Hamlet is the prince of Denmark. We all know that, right? It's also a place, Hamlet. It's a small village. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going Shakespeare. No, I was going. I was going Shakespeare. You were going actual. Okay, that's you're cool. talking about building a city in medieval terms. So I said, oh, like a Hamlet. I thought you were making a Shakespeare joke. Well, let's start over here. So, um, so I, I meant this is kind of a nine by or not by nine by nine. Actually, it does end up being nine by nine, but it's a three by three grid. Okay, everybody starts out with uh with a, a standard square card and that square card is their castle okay and that's goes on on the table in front of them okay yep. and then you imagine spaces all around in a three by three grid uh, where you are going to be able to place additional t- uh, additional cards okay okay so you form a a three by three grid of cards as soon as somebody places their last so you're gonna have eight cards that you place around the center one right and so as soon as somebody places their eighth card to fill their grid then that triggers the end of the game. Everybody else gets one more turn. That's the end of the game. Okay, that's our game end situation, right? So the center, the center card is a square card, two and a half by two and a half. Uh, all the other cards though are are standard playing card size, which is two and a half by three and a half. Okay, and the and the the top section is a is a is another square. The art on it is is square, two by two, or two and a half by two and a half. And then the bottom inch is is going to be a place where you're going to have other text. And I'll get back to that. So so then the the artwork section of each card itself is then divided into a three by three square or a three by three grid on each card. All right. In the center of each of those is on, on most cards, just some kind of a special building. And that might be, you know, the tavern or uh, the the I don't know, the blockade, whatever, you know, it, unique structures, unique buildings that you're going to see in a city. Okay? Sure. Okay, um, and then uh, on all the other spaces on the card are going to be different districts, uh, and my districts are farms, homes, and markets. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, also, all cards, maybe all cards, maybe most cards, are going to have are going to have one kind of an infrastructure. Sometimes two. They're going to have some kind of infrastructure feature on it. Okay. And in in this case, it's going to be either aqueducts or roads. So if you imagine. You imagine these districts are on the the regular square tiles, or square sections on each card. The uh, these infrastructure things are going to be lines that that uh, run down the center of a of a row. Okay. Um, as you're as you're playing the game, you're going to be placing on every turn. You're going to be placing one of these cards. Okay, not on every turn, but <laughs> you're going to be placing these cards down so that one edge is up against uh, the edge of one of your of your castle card or at a corner, right? At, uh, um, you know, diagonal from, from that. And you're going to be placing it so that that extra, that extra one-inch section on the bottom that has text on it is out to the side, all right? Um, so that's going to limit some of your orientation options, okay? That's part of the game, though. All right. Um, let's see. So the castle itself 
isn't going to have any features on it with which with uh, the direct specific districts. So it's not like it's going to have a one edge that always connects to markets or farms or anything like that. But it will have a road entering the castle and aqua, uh, aqueduct because that's where the water supply is coming from, coming out from the castle, from the whatever, you know, on the castle. So all the water is going to flow out of there. So it does have infrastructure connections, but no district connections. Good? Yes. Okay, so... Uh, at start of a turn, a player can t- choose one of these three actions. Uh, oh, the other thing I should say. Uh, so at the start of the game, uh, let me get back to set up here. Um, uh, we're going to have uh, everybody needs four pawns in their own unique color. We need five D6s, five six-sided dice. Uh, and you're going to have five tokens, five little, little chipboard tokens. The tokens, we're going to say uh, one side is blank and one side has a red X on it. Uh, and you're going to take those five tokens, you're going to place them all so the red X side is down. All right. Um, everybody, everybody's going to have four poke, four pawns. You only start the game with two. The other the others are off to the side. Uh-huh. Uh, you're going to shuffle a deck of cards. Uh, every player is going to start with three cards. Then you uh, put the, the deck face down the table and flip over four cards face up. These are kind of available to buy. All right. Uh, then, uh, let's see. Okay. And then... Uh, First player takes the dice. All right. So on your turn, uh, you can choose one of these three actions. First, you can take one of the face-up cards from the table or the card from the top of the deck that's face down. Okay. And then you add it to your hand, max hand size of five cards. Uh, And if you take one of those face-up cards, then it's replenished from the top of the deck. Okay. So that's your first option. Second, you can discard any number of cards from your hand to a discard pile. Each card that you've discarded allows you to flip one of your tokens from the X side back to the blank side. So again, you're starting the game with everything blank with the X's down. Right. As you play, some of those X's might be flipped upward. So this is a way for you to eliminate those X's. Okay. Or your third option is roll the dice. Roll all five dice. Okay. Okay. Um, so uh, before rolling, uh, so at the start of the game, you all can always roll all five dice. But... Uh, if you have any of those red X's flipped upwards, so the X is showing, that's saying that it, those five tokens represent the five dice, and that X means you you can't roll one die. Right. So if you have two red X's showing and three blanks, that means you're only going to get to roll three dice that turn. Okay? But if you have an empty pawn, a pawn that hasn't been assigned somewhere else, you can instead for that round, you can put that pawn on top of one of those X's to block it. So if you have one free pawn and two red X's, you can put your pawn over one of those X's, uh, and then you can roll four dice instead of five. Okay? So first turn, you're always going to be able to roll five, but later on, depends on how many X's are showing. Okay? Yep. All right. Uh, so then the player can choose one card from their hand and put it face up on the table in front of them. This card, that card is going to be ready for construction. Okay? That's the card you're going to try and uh, add to your city. Oh, I'm sorry. You're going to pick this card before you roll the dice. Forgive me. So you assign your pawns on the X's if you want to. Then you pick the di- the card from your hand. You put it out there. Say, this is the card I'm going to work on. Kind of your ready area. This is the card. That I'm going to try and build this improvement to my city for this round. Okay. Uh, that card is going to have in that little one inch, six, one inch section of text. It's going to have uh, basically, uh, uh, it's going to tell you what dice you need to roll. What values you need to roll in order to successfully construct that thing. And it could be anywhere from three to five numbers that are on there. Uh, it might be specific values, like you need a, a two threes and a one, or it might be relative numbers where I need three in a row, you know, or three of the same or something like that, okay? So those combos could be whatever. 
Then you're going to roll the dice. First thing you do is any dice that show a six are immediately set aside. You can't use those this round. And you have to flip one blank token to the X side. Okay, that means that's one less die you're going to roll the next time. Uh, any remaining dice can be spent to attempt to build the card previously played. Okay. All right. And then if you're successful, then you can add that to your castle. You put it out there. That's great. Okay. Uh, if you fail, if you can't complete it, uh, then uh, then you take the card back to your hand and your, your turn's over. Okay. Uh-huh. I think there's probably going to need to be more done with that, but that's where I am right now on that. Right. Okay. I just feel like it's going to be infinitely difficult to build those cards. Well, the combos are not going to be terribly difficult. I okay. mean, the combos should be pretty simple. Uh, like they're, they're going to, they would be mostly three number combos, uh, and a lot of relatives and a lot of doubles. Okay. Um, yeah. So anyway, that, that's part of, I, again, yeah, I need to work on some of that. That's just kind of the initial idea here. Okay. Um, you want to, as you're placing cards, what you want to do is you want to try and connect districts to each other and connect infrastructure to each other. Right. That's, I mean, that's simple. Right. right? Um, uh, Last thing you can do then after after you've built something or really at the end of your turn, it, it, what you can do is you can choose to place one of your free pawns onto a card on their city. You can place it as soon as it's built or you can place it later, um, later on the game. And by placing a pawn there, it's stuck there for the remainder of the game, uh, but it might allow you to activate other things, other special abilities of the unique structure that's on that card. Okay? Okay. Uh, I'll run through some of those ideas. Um at the end of your turn, you remove all your pawns from your X tokens, so those are freed up now. Uh, and if all five of your tokens are on the X side, then you get a free flip and you put them all back to blank. Okay. Okay. And the game ends again as soon as somebody uh, puts down their eighth uh, card to complete their city. Uh, then the game ends, everybody else gets one more turn, and then you do final scoring. So final scoring, uh, players uh, will score one point for each square in their largest contiguous district for each district type. So you might have two sets of farms that are each six squares each, but you're only going to score one of them. Okay. Okay. You're going to score three points for each card connected to your longest uninterrupted piece of infrastructure of each type. Uh, and you'll score additional points based on pawn and structure placement stuff that's right. unique to each card. Okay, so special abilities for these the, for these properties, um, uh, it might be uh, you gain an extra pawn. You, everybody could have up to four, so you could build up to two of those in your city. You could build more; you're just not going to get any more bonuses. Okay, uh, it might be uh, an extra card ready for construction in that ready area. So you could pl- place one, but you would actually have two you could have in there. So you have more options when you roll your dice and that can stack as well. So you could have three. Um, you could double your double scoring for for an aqueduct or a road. You basically double all, this, all the scores that you might get for the infrastructure and districts. Right. Okay. And when you're doing those, in order for one of those to be possible, you do have to have a pawn on it. Okay. Okay. Uh, plus one hand size, uh, or uh, it's the, uh, plus two points for every pawn in your city at the end of the game. Okay. And and I you know I could keep going from there with other ideas. Right. Okay. So um, it, but it was kind of thing, thinking about city builders. I like I said before I like city builder games. I play a lot of them on my computer. Um, and a way to kind of get dice into that, you know, with with some risk and some surprise and. Dice rolling right. is fun, and and you know I've said many times before that I, I've been able to make a good dice game, and I want to keep trying, and so this is kind of another right. approach to that. Um, 
thoughts? So <clears throat> the first thing that pops into my head are two things. Mm-hmm. Um, this has some similarities to King Domino. Okay. Uh, with the tiles and the scoring. Okay. Because uh, scoring for King Domino, I believe, is based on largest contiguous area. Is it? Okay. Um, But it kind of feels like it's mixed with Roll For It. Have you played Roll For It? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with the whole trying to purchase the cards, the mm-hmm. same type of system. Sure. But then suddenly has like superpowers in it that allow you to break the rules and stuff. Yeah. Um, And the X's also are pretty intriguing. So... It's, you know, locking dice right. and unlocking <clears throat> dice and, and ignore a lock die using a pawn. Right. That means right. you can't you can't place it on that turn or whatever, right? Right. Um, it's funny. I was trying... I, when you started talking about the X's and rolling less dice, I was like, use this mechanic in another game. And I was thinking and thinking that I realized, no, I used a similar mechanic oh. in, in a hail of bullets. Oh. You would get shot and it would give you less cards you could hold or something it was the same type of thing and it it would refresh after a while and not that you took it from that idea because that game is terrible and you don't remember it (laughs) i don't and i really do in fact i'd forgotten about it until i was like why do i know a mechanic like that i remember the name it's still a good name still a good name but anyways um yeah so no i uh i think with the re-theme you'd be fine yeah but if it's a city builder in medieval times you would draw way too many comparisons yeah yeah. okay so yeah and and yeah like i already said so thematically uh, I think I might want to approach this as Aquanauts. Oh yeah, yeah. So instead of your castle in the center, you've got your, like your main your main research base right? right under the ocean, and you might be you know you might be connecting groups of coral together, right? Or you know beds of kelp, or or just just you know sediment, you know a normal blanks empty sea bottom, or even more. Um more lab stuff, right? Well, so then the unique structures, so that, those would be okay, the districts, right? right? The unique structures would be laboratory equipment or a machine shop for repairing your submarines or it might be stuff you're finding on the ocean floor like a sunken pirate ship or right. uh, ruins of Atlantis, uh, yeah, yeah, a yeah. volcano, right? Um, right. Things like that. For for the infrastructure ideas that could be, you could be connecting electricity and oxygen to different structures and different things, yep. right? So, so I think that's where I want to go. The pawns then are your divers swimming around. They are the right. aquanauts swimming around doing work. That um, that sounds good. I think that like, fits a lot better. Yeah, the theme is way more fun that way. Yeah, and different and surprising. city builders are cool, but with what you're describing, yeah, this sounds different. This sounds like yeah. a really good take on it. I like it. Yeah, so I I like that idea. That's been a fun one to work on the last couple of weeks. I kind of had a lot of downtime. Not Well, that's not true. I didn't have a lot of downtime over the holidays, but I... I took time like a, a good solid month uh to just not think about game stuff right and that that's been really beneficial to kind of refresh my brain a lot and so this is the first thing that's come to me since that right yeah so um so i'm going to call that the new aquanauts idea i think that's a great use of that theme yeah yeah so excellent um, Okay, yeah, builders, totally interested in any ideas that you guys have. You know, I, I imagine seeing it as, as that kind of like 60s C-Lab kind of style, For you know, sure, yeah, bold, yeah. solid colors and kind of retro future aesthetic to it, um, bold yellows and oranges and, and like kind of that. rounded stuff. Yeah, so anyway, um, that's that's been fun to to look at. Very cool. Yeah. All right. What else we got? I don't have anything else. No emails or anything? I don't know. No. I think there was one one Twitter question. Um, look at that. Oh, got two of them here. So one is from Robin right. Lees. 
Robin says, do you guys listen to music whilst you design? And has any music you've listened to influenced a game design in any way? You want me to go first? Yeah. Um, just one. Well, I mean, I listen to music when I design sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but a, a one song, yes, influenced the game. Gunsling and Ramblers oh, right. uh, was literally named after a song called Gunsling, Gunsling and Ramblers. Ramblers. Um, so yeah. Um, anyways, so yeah, that yeah. was uh, that was that. But other than that, no, uh, I do listen to music when I design sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How about you? Um, I generally do better in silence. Um, especially when I'm writing something, when I'm like writing rules or yes. exploring an idea. I, um, uh, if, if my brain is, it needs to be engaged in what I'm working on, then, then silence is better for me because the music might distract me. I'm, I like music while I'm driving or podcasts while I'm driving or while I'm, you know, doing other, other work on the computer. Right. Um, that's, that's when music supports me. So, yeah. If I'm thinking of card text, like, you know, like special abilities uh-huh. or balancing something, then I like music. But yeah, if I'm writing rules, no, 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 mm-hmm. no, no. That'll just, that's too yeah. difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even writing card text and things, I don't do well with music. Yeah. If, if my brain is focused on, on something, I, it, it's better for me to focus on that because I get distracted too easily. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, the other one we have here, this is from Andrew Griffin. Uh, he says, I see a simple surgery variant set in a Chinese restaurant. Chopsticks chopsticks instead of tweezers discuss oh yeah not a bad idea right not a bad idea at all um chopsticks would be supremely more difficult to use than tweezers yeah yeah i'm bad with chopsticks chopsticks are uh, i'm not terrible with them but they're really difficult to use yeah 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 um so you could use the cheater chopsticks where they're like, you know, they're connected at the top. They do that for some people sometimes. Sure, and for but kids, yeah, but yeah. those are just tweezers then. <laughs> Basically, yeah. So, but they're longer tweezers. Yeah, no, that's a neat idea. Uh, and it could be, uh, there's there's maybe there's a sushi thing or maybe it's a noodle bowl and you're trying to pull out the peppers or something from noodles. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that, no, that's a neat idea. I will certainly suggest that to the publisher after the game comes out and is a huge hit and they want me to help them with more yeah, variants. Yeah, for sure. And, it's good plan. Oh, believe me, I've got ideas. I have ideas, people. They don't listen to this show. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah. Okay. That's that's it then. All right. So, yeah. So, thanks everybody for listening. Why don't you do this? Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, we hope you had a good time with us here. If you want to get a hold of you want to get in touch with us, you could email us at buildingagamepodcast at gmail.com or you could follow us on Twitter. Rob is at poorly underscore designed. I'm at J.A. Slingerland or the podcast is at podcastbtg. Uh, you could also just go to our website, buildingagamepodcast.com and check that out because that's a place you could go. You could go buy our games off that same website or other websites around the interwebs. Um, you could buy our games. That'd be fun. As Rob says, buy our games, buy our games, buy our games. He used to say that all the time. Um, buy our games yeah and uh you can call us at 770 tell btg uh but you're probably not going to because you never do uh you probably should i'm gonna guilt you into it so yeah call us that's your job this week builders if you've never called this before call us i want 100 voicemails 100 of them people <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> if you've never if you've never called us before or even if you have i want one voicemail from you this week i don't care what you say i will play it on the show and if you swear, Rob will have to edit it, and that's funny. So, yeah. All right. On that note, good night. See you guys.
Building the Game is a co-production of Imminent Entertainment and Poorly Designed Studios. All of the ideas presented by Rob and Jason are property of the Building the Game podcast. Next time on Building the Game. Next time. There may never be a next time. There is only now. Now I rise from the dark place. Now I gather the foul humors to my aid. Now I send forth my minions to scour the lands. Now they lay bare the frail creature that is mankind. Now I rise. I am Wiktionary.